the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So, before we get started with our guest of the week, Dr. Z, I should put that in echoes. No, uh, that's Dr. Emily Zarka, and we'll be talking about her interest in monsters through history. But we're going to talk about last week's episode, which we did with Stephen Bassett. And what pleases me is the reaction we got, which is in the past when Stephen Bassett said, disclosure, disclosure, people said, ah, ignore him. Now they realize the guy is not selling a product. This is what he believes. And he's trying real hard to get something there. It doesn't mean I expect that tomorrow the government's going to say, we're being visited by E.T. or anything like that. But I think he's trying. And nothing wrong with that. Right, Randall? I actually like Stephen. He's been very consistent and persistent for a lot of years trying to get people to take the idea of alien visitation seriously. There are reasons to take it seriously. So more power to him. It was really interesting what we got into with him on the last show, and that's this bill that they were talking about uh, with the defense intelligence to be able to get a report from the various agencies on what they have found out about what they're calling, of course, UAP. While that might not mean an alien craft, but if they listen to these recommendations for this bill, we might actually see some sort of disclosure. Well, there's always a bit of hope there, but I'm jaded. I'm jaded because I've been following pleas for disclosure now for over 50 years, a lot more than 50 years, and we never see it. We came close, maybe we thought, in the late 60s when Congress held hearings on UFOs led by Congressman Gerald Ford, and that led us to the Condon Committee, and that didn't do a darn thing. Dr. Z, welcome to the Paracast. I'm really looking forward on talking with you. But have you had any interest in UFOs at all? And one of the reasons I ask is because one of the videos that you shot was about Mothman. And Mothman has always had some kind of peripheral connection with UFOs. Hi, yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I've always been fascinated by UFOs. Um, the sort of unidentified aerial phenomenon from more of an alien perspective and the monster creation. And I do agree with you that I think mostly due to John Keel that we have started associating Mothman with the men in black and with UFOs. But from the people I talk to in the town of Point Pleasant, at least today, the whole alien concept doesn't really seem to be something that's very predominant um, to them now. I'm going to ask you first before we go on with Mothman. Yeah, of course. How did you get involved in this? Because I like what's happening here where it says that you approach literature and film through monsters. And I'm an old monster movie buff, but I mean like the monster films of the 30s and 40s. Yeah. And one of my very, very, very slight acquaintances over the years was the late Forrest J. Ackerman, if you ever heard of him. He had a magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland. And he emphasized the monster movies through the 50s and 60s and such. Honestly, I grew up as a huge fan of horror films and horror books. I was reading Stephen King at probably a way too young age. But my PhD is actually in literature. But my approach to 
literature and history in general is I view it from a structuralist and historicist perspective, meaning I don't think anything exists in a bubble or in a vacuum, that there's all these different contributing elements coming from all different angles when any kind of narrative is constructed. So as I was working on my dissertation, which was about the undead uh, in the British Romantic period, I became really interested in teaching film and media and looking at how literature and film and video games and art have portrayed these seemingly fantastic or supernatural creatures. And when I approached PBS with the idea for the show, I pitched it by saying, I want to do for monsters what Anthony Bourdain did for food, meaning that I want to try to make broader global cultural connections by pointing out something we all have, which is fear of the unknown. This show, let's uh, talk about that right away. That's uh, on PBS. This show is called Storied. It's a creation of PBS Digital Studios with close to 300,000 subscribers on YouTube. One more now that I've joined. <laughs> its, its mission is to show how we can better understand ourselves through art and culture from mythology to movies to design and much more. It delves into the historical origins of monsters, books, video games, films and works of art. And this includes your show, the one that you host called Monstrum. And I've watched a number of episodes now, and they're wonderful. Thank you so much. They're really a labor of love, and there's so many different people that go into it. My production company, Spotson, that I work with is great. PBS and PBS Digital Studios are fantastic. And luckily, they give me quite a bit of creativity and free reign. Monstrum was the show that sort of started Storied, and we're really excited to see it growing from the response of the audience. Now, right now, it's available on YouTube? Yes. Also, pbs.org. Oh, okay. Is it ever going to be on the regular PBS broadcast stations? It is funny that you say that. So I can't say too much at this point right now, but we are looking at potentially a broadcast tie-in with Monstrum coming up sooner rather than later. So I can't give too many details, but I can say that we will hopefully be announcing something very soon on that front. Well, I really hope you do. I'm a big monster movie buff, as I said. I grew up watching the classic horror movies from the 30s and 40s, from Universal, particularly the Frankenstein, yeah. Dracula, Wolfman. And the thing I observe, which is what I don't like about the current films, is then they suggested the horror. They didn't show it in bright red blood. I mean, Hammer Films did that in the 50s, as you probably know. But and even then, though, the films had great acting and performances mm -hmm. from people like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Christopher Lee, of course, people remember from doing one of the James Bond films yeah. and Peter Cushing, of course, from Star Wars. They did all those Frankenstein Dracula movies. And even though they were more graphic, mm -hmm. essentially, these films were very well done in terms of production values. And again, it's not like you use the technique of just startling people. You know, wow, oh my God, there's, <laughs> there's Jack Nicholson saying, here's Johnny or something. Yeah. I mean, they had suggested, this is especially true when you get back to the 30s, where they had to be very careful. So something like Dracula, I understand Dracula when it was on Broadway and Bela Lugosi was <laughs> you know, originator, people were screaming and the film was very mild and, you know, to me, almost dull. But I loved the film because of the acting and the stories were fun. So 
What do you think in the sense of horror films? Do you think it's because I'm an old guy or what? <laughs> no, I don't think it's that. I think that like so many things, this aspect of our culture, again, all narratives, all storytelling really is a product of the time period and things going on scientifically, culturally, politically. Again, nothing exists in a bubble. So my gut reaction to that is the way filmmaking is approached now in general tends to lead more towards those big dramatic moments and a lot of the big budget filming goes into creating those sort of huge films like you said that are maybe more violent or have this high production value and maybe a little bit less story although I do think that's changing and I do think in the last five years in particular with horror movies we've seen a return maybe not to you know those sort of simple in the case of like Night of the Living Dead or White Zombie, black and white type films, but more emphasis on the human characters. I'm thinking of Us, Get Out, The Lodge, a couple other, even Paranormal Activity, right? Taking out some of the gore aspects for those really deep psychological themes. And I think that the, we're seeing more of that. Dr. Emily Zarka is talking to us about monsters. And we're looking at the mythology of monsters, but also, can any of these creatures be real? More to come with Jeannie Randall. You're in The Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. When you have a pain in the neck, a real pain in the neck, back, shoulder, or legs, you now have two convenient choices to get fast relief without taking another pill. Because now, Sunny Bay heating wraps and pillows are available at both Amazon and Walmart. Yes, see Sunny Bay's four-and-a-half to five-star customer reviews on Amazon.com or Walmart.com. Our made-in-the-USA microwavable heat wraps, heatable neck pillows, and extra-large body wraps are designed better for perfect support where and when you need it. Even while driving, Sunny Bay Wraps will not burn and stay balanced to provide soothing hot or cold therapy to help treat temporary or chronic pain. And the best part? Sunny Bay quality products start at under $20. Join thousands of happy customers and see why Sunny Bay products have a lifetime 100% positive rating on both Amazon and Etsy. It's easy. Click Amazon or Walmart and search today for Sunny Bay. 
Frustrated trying to get business capital? Want to take the slow process and rejection out of the equation? GCNloans.com removes the slow, irritating approval process. Instead, get quick, simple funding. Powered by David Allen Capital, 80% of our pre-qualified clients are approved in days. Pre-qualify at GCNloans.com and get your money this week. It's that easy. GCNloans.com. That's GCNloans.com. There's so much hand sanitizer on the market, but beware. Not all hand sanitizers are created equal. That's why you want to use 2020 Safe Hand Sanitizer. You can trust the hand sanitizer on 2020safe.net to be made with the highest quality ingredients. American made with American ingredients employing Americans. Log on now to 2020safe.net and order your one liter today. Normally $29.99, but reduced to $19.99. So hurry while supplies last and receive a bonus. That's right. You'll receive a 30-count bottle of Immune Booster, a $39.95 value, free, by using code GCN at checkout. Right now, click 2020safe.net. That's 2020safe.net to get our one-liter bottle of high-quality hand sanitizer with your free bonus. A 30-count bottle of Immune Booster valued at $39.95. Remember to enter GCN at checkout. And the bonus is yours, free, 2020safe.net. This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNLife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We continue with Dr. Z. Now, that's an interesting thing, too. We have the myth of monsters going back through history. Mm-hmm. Any of that at all possibly related to something real? I think it depends on how you define real. Um, I'm constantly asked doing this show and my research, you know, do you think that so-and-so actually saw this? Was there really some giant marsupial creature prowling around killing people, you know, 50 years ago? And my response to that is I care less about whether or not the creature existed in some form rather than why we have decided to keep telling those stories or recording them in the first place. So yes, do I think that some monsters might be based on the fossil record or in some kind of oral tradition passed down from our earlier ancestors about creatures that no longer exist? Yes. Do I think that there was a fire-breathing winged dragon flying around terrorizing people? No, I do not. But I'm not here to tell people back then or now if their experiences really happened. I think that people experience phenomena and strangeness and fear in so many different ways. Well, that is so true. One of the things I was noticing going through the various shows that you have on the list on your channel is that there are a few that cross over with the theme of the alien. In a way, I guess almost all monsters are kind of alien in a way. They are woven into our cultural fabric. Mm -hmm. 
There nowadays, I don't think that you can find a place where somebody doesn't know about aliens mm-hmm. in in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And of course, aliens are. We've got this typical gray creature, <laughs> which can be seen as a monster. How does that, in your opinion? And I mm-hmm. haven't seen I haven't seen one on the episode yet specifically on aliens like the greys or something like that Mm -hmm. how should we be looking at that from a cultural perspective i mean we've got festivals we've got conferences we've got tv shows all the way it's into our commercial advertising yeah i think it's crazy yeah we did martians but we haven't you know, dived into more recent alien phenomena. But I do think in general, my definition of a monster is anything that defies normalcy, whether that's in physical appearance or social behavior, basically anything that's seen as deviant. So of course, some crazy looking creature from another planet would be weird and strange to us. But sometimes it's also maybe someone infected with rabies or who has some kind of mental illness that is perceived as being um, an outsider in society. So I think, and this is personally, I think we've seen an uptick in identification with monsters and their globalization in part because of the increase in technology and communication that we've had obviously in the last century and, um, hundred years, arguably, even before that. But I think that with things like the internet and the more we talk about these things, the more people feel like I'm not alone. So it's almost as if these monsters, these others, these outsiders have created a fellow community of other people who feel disenfranchised or disassociated from certain parts of their various cultures. And I think that's something that's actually really beautiful about monsters. I think that monsters can be scary, but I don't think all monsters are scary. It depends on who's interacting with them and at what time period and what your perspective essentially of that outsider or monster actually is. It just really reminds me of the whole Beauty and the Beast thing. Doesn't it? Where we don't yeah. necessarily have to think of them as being these evil creatures. Mm-hmm. They just might be misunderstood. And that mm-hmm. can be a reflection of our own personality. Mm-hmm. 100%. Absolutely. Another thing I find really interesting is there does seem to be an element of realness to mm-hmm. the monsters in that people do claim to have experienced sensing them through their various perceptual means, ice, sight, smell, touch. So for them, it's a real experience. Mm -hmm. But it also seems like that the phenomena, if we just want to call it a phenomena, rather than anything necessarily specific, because maybe we're dealing with the same thing in all cases, but it's manifesting itself differently. But the phenomena tends to mirror the worldview of the experiencer. I think that's completely true. I mean, and you have to think about it, too, if something's a strange phenomenon or not, if you've been introduced to that idea before. I mean, there are monsters and creatures in different parts of the world that people in the United States would not recognize at all, simply because we don't have the cultural knowledge about them. Um, A really good example, I just did an episode on the Australian bunyip, which is a monster that dwells in small inland water areas in Australia. When European colonizers came to Australia, they flat out believed this creature was real. And they thought they would be able to find a specimen, not just fossils, but a living specimen. Partially because they're encountering things like the platypus, which the indigenous peoples of Australia didn't necessarily see it as monstrous, because I was part of, you know, the fauna that they lived with every day. But if you take someone from a different culture, different perspective, 
and put them into an environment where they don't understand the aspects of that area, both culturally and physically, you might have different definitions of monsters. The same thing can be said for people who portray the creature in Frankenstein as being a tragic hero rather than, you know, some bloodthirsty monster. So I think you're right. A lot of the time it really is about perspective. And I think that when we approach either some kind of phenomenon like you suggested or even a horror movie or horror book, our own worldview is part of how we determine if that thing is scary or not. Now, I read the original book, Frankenstein, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Yes. But remember, the original monster was a monster more by virtue of how he came to be. He was able to speak perfectly normally, you know, unlike making moaning sounds like Boris Karloff did. But even then, when Boris Karloff played the Frankenstein monster, He always tried to make him sympathetic, which was a tribute to his acting ability. Mm -hmm. He tried to make you feel sorry for this creature, even if he did really horrible things. Yeah, I think that the original author of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, even in 1818, would argue, I think, from my perspective, again, because I am a romanticist, so she fits into my time period, I think she meant him to be sympathetic. Scholars back then and today still, you know, argue about all the different themes, which to me is the hallmark of any good story in general is that people can keep returning to it and interpreting it in different ways. But I think that the creature and Boris Karloff and the longevity of Frankenstein and his creature and all these different iterations is exactly what you said. There's an identifiable aspect in how the actor portrays it or how the story is portraying that being. I think we can say that for all monsters. I think that the sympathetic monster is sympathetic not only because of maybe how an actor portrays it, but because of how we as the audience receive it. If we can identify with a monster, regardless of what it looks like in any capacity, I think that we make that emotional connection and fear becomes something different. Certainly, I think that when it comes to werewolves and the wolfman, amongst all the people who played that character, Lon Chaney Jr., had great acting ability, and he was able to convey sympathy. This guy surely didn't want to be what he had become, but he had to put up with it. Now we've got more to come. A monster's coming to us. I'm sorry, that's a bad imitation with Dr. Z. <laughs> Gene and Randall, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Houseflies defecate every four to five minutes, spreading diseases and germs. Protect your food and your health with Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic, no batteries required, only $39.95. Use discount code GCN and get an extra 10% off your purchase at bugassault.com. Fire your fly swatter. Get your bug assault today. 
Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. USA Radio News with John Hunt. At Mount Rushmore, President Donald Trump gave his 4th of July speech to an enthusiastic crowd. And during the speech, he warned that protesters who destroy monuments would be punished to the fullest extent of the law and that he's planning some brand new monuments for the United States. I am signing an executive order to establish the National Guard of American Heroes, a vast outdoor park that will feature the statues of the greatest Americans to ever live. And in the president's motivational speech, he reminded Americans that we will make it through these tough times. America's future is in our hands. And ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet to come. Enjoy your 4th of July. This is USA Radio News. A member of the president's inner circle has tested positive for COVID-19 in USA's Wendy King reports. President Trump's son, Don Jr., is in self-isolation. He tested negative for the coronavirus, but his girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, tested positive. A Trump campaign official says she was immediately isolated in order to limit exposure to anyone else. They're also saying she's not showing any symptoms of the disease. They'd been in South Dakota to help with fundraisers for the president's re-election campaign. For USA Radio News, I'm Wendy King. A 27-year-old man drove a car onto a closed freeway in Seattle and barreled through a panicked crowd of protesters, critically injuring two women. Dowett Kelty of Seattle drove his car around vehicles that were blocking Interstate 5 and intentionally sped into the crowd, according to the report released by the Washington State Patrol. The two women are in critical condition, according to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle. This is USA Radio News. Now with orders to stay at home, public health concerns, the reality of illness due to pathogens and viruses. Your health is at an all-time high risk. That's why it's critical to take a proactive approach to boost your immune system. You can with new nano-colloidal silver from AmeriCare. Our patented process with tiny silver particles, one one hundredth the size of a red blood cell, allows for maximum body absorption. AmeriCare's nano-colloidal silver effectively disinfects your body internally, attacking pathogens and viruses while supercharging your immune system. Colloidal silver is antibacterial and antiviral. Simply put, it prohibits bacterial respiration, suffocating viral cells, preventing the virus from replicating. And now, due to public health concern, AmeriCare is authorized to offer our lowest and best price ever, around a dollar a day. But supplies are limited. Purchase nano-colloidal silver now at ImmuneSupportNow.com. That's ImmuneSupportNow.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Supplies are limited. This is me, the Merciless. You are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, exactly according to my plan. I shan't try to imitate Bella Lugosi at all, you know, at least, you know, with Boris Karloff. Anyway, let's get back to the monsters 
and trying to understand where they fit in our society and everything. Now, we're looking at monsters as myths and everything, but obviously there are people out there, Dr. Z, who believe they're real or we're real, and that takes us back to the Mothman. Now, when you decided to explore this, obviously you did some research. You're familiar with certainly the work of John Keel. What led you to pick this particular example because of its being somewhat recent? Yeah, we wanted to do something recent. PBS, that was actually uh, one of the episodes that became the interstitial, meaning that it was one of the first that, you know, the actual television broadcast could decide to play on their station. So we wanted to do something that felt very more like an American monster. And I, in doing research, found something so compelling about the different accounts of Mothman sightings. And then I learned about, you know, the Mothman Festival that happens every year. And I thought that was just so interesting and different from other monsters that we see. Although monsters are largely celebrated in different parts of the world. But I thought it was really interesting type of cryptid. And you mentioned werewolves previously. We see a lot more of that kind of humanoid animal type monster where it's something that seems more predatory or threatening but the idea of a moth and a human combined into a monster i thought was fascinating and bizarre in all the best ways so yes i did a ton of research about it and then went to point pleasant with an open mind and talked to some locals and some experts there went and actually got to see where mothman was originally sighted on the road and sort of explore the woods in that area and that was probably the first time in a long time that i had had the chance to, of course, not experience what the original eyewitnesses did, but to get a sense physically of the atmosphere and the environment in which these kinds of creatures are created, for lack of a better way of putting it. It was raining and dark the whole time uh, we were filming, pretty much, and there was something very eerie about being in these woods with these now abandoned buildings, and it's silent, and there's no lights around there at night. Everything is pitch dark. So the Mothman made a little bit more sense once I'd had the experience in the physical environment. Yeah, forests can be really unsettling places. People love them. I do too. I'm a tree hugger. I love nature. But sometimes when you get out there and you're by yourself, and I've worked out there, you can get those feelings like you're being watched and you get all your hair stand up on end and you know or you feel like it's just something weird about being in the forest and forests seem to figure fairly prominently in a number of these myths right mm-hmm. yeah i think that nature in general figures for a lot of these myths because as you mentioned it is so eerie i think we've seen less of that sort of type of woodland or maybe even you know nature based monster in the last 50 to 100 years because of things like increased urbanization and having more electricity and lighting in different places. I think that as we explore more of these areas that we have here on Earth, I think that they become less mythic. And then those scary experiences aren't necessarily there. But I'm totally with you. I've definitely been in the woods. I grew up a little bit in Vermont, where you feel like something is watching you. Because it probably is. I mean, anyone who's been in a forest, we know that there's all these crazy animals and bugs and critters just watching you all the time. But I think that, again, as 
fewer and fewer people maybe have those experiences, that could be one of the reasons we lean towards something more like a UFO or an alien or a deep sea monster. I think that's just one of the ways in which increased technology and history can actually change the type of monsters that we see. Well, that makes perfect sense because forests used to be the unknown. Yeah. I mean, people would look up at the sky and actually the sky was fairly obvious. You could just look up there and you could see the stars and and while they might be the realm of of something up there, you could see up there pretty easily. But you look into a forest and it's dark and shaded. You can't tell what's in there until you go in there and investigate it. Nowadays, not so much. We fly over them. We cut them down. They, they're just used as a resource. Also, some people feel that a dying resource. Let me just throw back to the chase here with Mothman. That is, did these people see something really weird or what? Personal opinion? Absolutely. I, I think that not all people, but I do think some people did see something strange. Do I think that thing was an extraterrestrial creature? No, I do not. I personally think that it was likely some kind of bird, which I know is controversial um, to some people, but I think that I'm a huge bird person in general, and they're super weird um, in so many ways. But my personal theory is it was maybe something like a sandhill crane, so some kind of bird or animal that was unfamiliar to hunters and locals in the area, or potentially was maybe even deformed in some way uh, genetically through just mutation, and they saw something. I do believe that people did see something. But like I said before, I don't think that's true for everyone. Who am I to say that someone who saw, you know, a sandhill crane flying at night, if they experienced that thing as Mothman, that's their perspective. Who am I to say that, you know, their eyesight was bad or that, that you know, they're somehow lacking in some kind of intelligence? I don't feel that way at all. Would you tell people what this crane is and why people might perceive it as being something really out there? Yeah. So the Sandhill Crane is a bird that pops up in places like Point Pleasant, West Virginia, but it's not necessarily um, endemic to the area. For migration, it might be there. And it's popped up actually in other places like Chicago, where there have been Mothman sightings, which I find particularly interesting. But it was proposed pretty early on in Mothman. Once a West Virginia university professor told the press, like, I'm 100% positive this is what they're seeing. Although the four original eyewitnesses were shown pictures of this, you know, long-legged gray bird with red around its eyes. And they said, no, that's definitely not what I saw. So take it with a grain of salt, but in the 1960s, there was an article talking about migration of sandhill cranes um, east of the Mississippi River. So we do know that these birds were sort of in the area, um, although their wingspans um, and speed don't match up to what some eyewitness accounts said. Uh, I think we have to account for things like human adrenaline response, fear, the darkness, because these sightings were all at night which I do think there's something about the, you know, mythology and the not being able to see your senses are sort of heightened, at least you maybe your sound and your touch, but your sight as humans is definitely dulled at night. So I think we need to account for that as well. I mean, there are tons of theories we were told of, and I found my research theories like Teenagers playing pranks, dressing up in costumes. Um, we've heard, you know, mutated animals from the nuclear uh, testing that was going on there, the nuclear work. So 
there's so many different theories, but I think in general, what Mothman to me represents in a lot of ways is not just the, <laughs> let me rephrase that. I think Mothman today is such an incredible figure that's still talked about so much because the people of Point Pleasant have embraced it as part of their culture. I mean, there's a statue of Mothman in the center of Point Pleasant. And the people I talked to there seem to accept it as part of their town's history and something that, you know, they can benefit from. But I personally, at least, didn't meet any like that, you know, were like, yes, I see it, we're friends. But I think all monsters that we still talk about today have to have that combination of mysteriousness, but maybe plausibility. So maybe it wasn't an extraterrestrial humanoid. Maybe it was a mutated, you know, bird. There's a possibility that someone could still find it that I think makes a lot of these monsters, including Mothman, really interesting and exciting. We're talking about monsters in history. Dr. Emily Zarka, Dr. Z joins us. We've got a lot more to come. And I have one more question before Randall's gets his in. More to come with Gene and Randall and Dr. Z. You're in. The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I help thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. We've all seen and perhaps use the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you noticed how it dries your skin and as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective? GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam meeting or exceeding all requirements set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration. Come to GCNteam.com, keyword antibacterial, or call 877-878-4203. Hi, Peter Vercaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. 
people who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. I'm here with Scott Uceum, founder of OMG Tax. Tell us how your company helps our listeners out there who have a problem with the IRS. My team of lawyers, enrolled agents, and licensed tax experts remove wage garnishments sometimes in the same day. We even have reduced the total debt some of our clients were required to pay through what is known as an offer in compromise. Can you give us an example of somebody you help? Oh, can I ever. We have taken a $500,000 liability with the IRS Guess what? The client didn't pay a dime through the representation known as non-collectible status with the government. If you owe the IRS more than $10,000 and you want to see if it's possible to pay a lot less, call OMG Tax right now for a free tax-saving consultation. Call 800-486-8112. That's 800-486-8112. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. My question, Dr. Z, some of those who speculated about Mothman want to connect it in some way to the collapse of the Silver Bridge. Yes. In Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Did you look into that at all or the timeliness 100%. of that? There is absolutely no evidence that any kind of creature, extraterrestrial, supernatural, or any real animal was connected to the Silver Bridge. It was a absolutely tragic thing, a design flaw that happened in the bridge that just happened to coincide with 13 months after the first sighting of Mothman. It killed 46 people, and it's something this town definitely still mourns. There are still memorials for the bridge. But I don't think that there's any connection between Mothman, real or imagined, and the Silver Bridge collapse. It's, again, just one of those really tragic and unfortunate circumstances that was bolstered as being something supernatural. And from the people I talked to in Point Pleasant who insist that Mothman had nothing to do with it, and some of them are actually offended that Mothman is connected to such a tragedy where, you know, some people... I met someone whose relative was actually was meant to be driving across that bridge and didn't. So I think it's still very real to a lot of people who live there. And I think sometimes equating the monster to it is not something they respond to very well, rightfully so. But again, I think that that was more of an outsider perspective in and saying like, oh, of course, Mothman happened you know, a little over a year ago, so he made the bridge collapse. But there's no evidence I could find or anyone in the town could tell me that there is any connection. So the question, did Mothman still appear to people after the bridge collapsed? 
Yes. It depends on who you ask. Again, Mothman sightings definitely slowed down um, even before the Silver Bridge collapse. They pop up every once in a while. I know I mentioned um, the Chicago area. There were some Mothman sightings, I'm thinking, maybe in like the late 2010s. I believe like around 2017, I know there were a couple Mothman sightings. Again, these are sightings where, you know, a police officer said people flagged him down saying that they saw, you know, a large creature with wings. But then Chicago PD says no report to that account was actually filed. So like all monster stories, I feel like there's his, hers, and the truth, for lack of a better way of putting it. A lot of these things are sort of gray. But Mothman continues to pop up, um, usually when there's any kind of disaster. And I think that is where the Silver Bridge connection comes into play. Some people say that Mothman was at um, Chernobyl, and there's actually some photoshopped images out there showing some kind of vaguely Mothman figure there. Um, but I think that anytime there's sort of a disaster, people want to attribute it to something supernatural. And I think that goes back to what a lot of monsters represent is monsters are about fear and about things we don't understand. So I think in the case of some of these terrible tragedies, um, 9-11, actually, I believe there were some accounts saying that they saw, you know, a Mothman type visual in the smoke or something. I think that we find tragedy, real human, real life tragedy to be so confusing and inexplicable in so many different ways that we say it's something supernatural because we want there to be an explanation that maybe makes it make more sense and can give people some kind of closure or understanding about the incident. That all makes perfect sense. (laughs) The idea that it could be a bird, though, uh, giant birds are not just found, you know, in, say, Point Pleasant mm-hmm. in terms of the mythology. They, they, they've been sighted in a lot of places. Uh, there was a number of giant bird sightings in Alaska. We were talking about you know, pilots who saw them in the daytime. And these would be big enough that if it was something that was on the ground and seen at night, you could think it was a person with wings. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know that there's been, I believe, some even, I don't know if there's scientific studies in some capacity of people who, um, even in relation to Mothman, would put, you know, these dummies of some kind of mannequin or animal figure and then be like, okay, guess, you know, from a distance at high speed at night, how big this thing was. And people would by and large, completely over-exaggerate the size. I don't know enough about science of the human body to tell you how that works, but I know actually know a lot about birds. I'm a bird volunteer at a local wildlife and rehabilitation facility, and some of them are massive and scary and make crazy noises. And like you said, there are actually a lot of monster legends around the world that are related to birds in some way. Mostly predatory birds, but not always. Right, you've heard of the Territorn then, of course, right? So I that have would not. Oh. Tell me. <laughs> I'm okay. intrigued. You know, I'm not an expert on all of this when it comes to identically memorizing <laughs> exactly where they but you can certainly look it up. It was put together in uh, in a museum, I believe. Nobody, as far as I know, has actually found one, but if you look it mm-hmm. up, you can it's pretty interesting. And and this is like a giant big black bird. Cool. Yeah. That's like something. I'm sorry for his reaction. I'm like, cool, awesome. I wish I could see yeah. one. Yeah. Well, I mean, but there's the dodo. We know the dodo. It's kind of a ridiculous looking bird, but arguably could be monstrous because it is so strange looking. We know it existed, but we just don't have it around now. So that is always, of course, the possibility for these, you know, winged monsters, even something like 
dragons or wyverns or that type of um, monster is, yeah, absolutely. Finding, like you said, some very large bird at night that really did exist or fossils also have been misinterpreted often throughout the years. Right. Yeah. I guess, you know, that we could go all the way back to pterodactyls and, mm-hmm. and flying dinosaur birds yep. and, and, and such. But I mean, you know, so who knows? Maybe these people really did see something, though, and we just don't know necessarily what it was. It's, the descriptions from some of the witnesses don't really match the kind of flight characteristics of a bird. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you hear um, of a witness saying, well, it just sort of flew straight up. Yeah. And and birds really don't fly that way, do they? I don't know enough about, but I think there maybe is one or two types of birds that can fly straight up, sort of like a helicopter. Yeah. But you're right. Like a hummingbird I, can. but oh, Hummingbirds are fascinating. I love hummingbirds. Um, these are my two sides of my personality, right? It's like monsters and birds. Um, but I think... Again, I'm not one here to say that's not my job or what my research is trying to do of, you know, did John Smith see Mothman or not? Like you said, for all I know, that person definitely saw some kind of strange behavior or creature. Um, But I guess I do lean more onto the side of evidence, Um, not necessarily scientific evidence, but more cases. I think maybe if something like unidentified creature did exist like that, that we would probably have more consistent stories of it more often. Um, But again, I'm not here to say if these things exist or not. I'm fascinated by why we even have these kind of conversations. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. Like, I mean, it's for me, we just, I tend to go, well, you know, I mean, I wonder if it could have been a, 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 I kind of do kind of, I guess maybe it's a guy thing too. I mean, I do love the cultural side of things as well, but I kind of go, well, how is that, possible if, it, if it's not really possible then it probably wasn't a, a real bird for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. so how do birds fly well birds big birds with great big wings tend to need a lot of takeoff space or they have to climb up on something and launch themselves off a cliff or a high place you know that that kind yeah. of thing so it's something the size of a of a mothman it wouldn't just be able to just flap its wings and fly straight up it's just goes against everything we seem to know about large birds taking flight. I think that just because it seems impossible, it doesn't mean that it is. I think something even like, I think recently in the news, it came out that scientists are finally having an idea about how the flying snakes can actually quote unquote fly. I think that we learn more and more about the world around us every day and not even the world around us, the galaxy around us. Right. I think that goes back to, we were having discussion about, unidentified aerial phenomenon and extraterrestrials and sort of the things that lurk in the depths of our oceans. I mean, all these things, there's so much that we still haven't found yet. So maybe we just haven't found the real life fauna that actually inspired some of these legends. When we get to our next segment, I want to ask you about the Loch Ness Monster. Have you (laughs) looked into that at all? I have a little bit, yes. We're going to talk about that in our next segment. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And we're having lots of fun talking here about monsters and other monster possibilities to get into, not just birds, of course, Mothman or Mothbird or whatever it was, but certainly things like werewolves. Hmm. A lot of strange things out there. And when we talk about Dracula, what about legends of vampires, people who maybe decided that 
the liquid they like was not Diet Coke, but Diet Blood. Oh, yeah? All right. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 right. We're talking about here Monstrum. We have Dr. Emily Zorka, affectionately known as Dr. Z with Gene and Randall, affectionately known as who knows. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Today, many of us are paying attention to our health, and what we eat plays an important role. But so often, the water we drink is a mere afterthought when it should be a primary part of our daily nutrition. Real Water would like to change how you think about the water you drink and how it can play an important role in helping your body restore balance and reach its full potential. The key benefits of every bottle of Real Water are stabilized negative ions, balanced pH, detoxification, and it hydrates you like never before. And yes, it tastes great. Real Water is beyond alkalinity, and due to its proprietary process called called E2 Technology, it's the only drinking water on the market that can maintain a stable negative ionization, which means real science in every bottle. Order your real water today and take advantage of special pricing for this audience only by calling 1-855-REALWTR or visiting buyrealwaternow.com. That's 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Order now. 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. The Loch Ness Monster, one of the earliest monsters I heard about, was a Loch Ness Monster, something going on there. Of course, you know, I'm very old. And well, maybe this happened in the 13th it? century or something like that. Dr. Z, tell us what you know. So the Loch Ness Monster, from what I understand, is an unidentified aquatic monster. Some people say four paddles or flippers, um, a larger sort of like football-shaped body and a very long neck with a small head, uh, famously residing in Scotland. But one thing that I do think is interesting about the Loch Ness Monster are there are sort of variations of other types of aquatic monsters that resemble a similar form to that. And I think that is directly attributed to the, um, our fossil record actually. 
So yeah, some people I, say that this is maybe a descendant of some kind of creature mm-hmm. from our prehistory that just managed to survive despite all. <laughs> I mean, that would be great. I think part of us, we want to believe that something so ancient and so prolific could actually exist. I mean, that would be fantastic. Again, I'm not going to completely rule it out because I'm not an expert. Maybe we haven't discovered it yet. But personally, I think it is unlikely, um, especially because there's only ever been one reported. So how would it be propagating? So it would have to be essentially immortal, which would be very interesting, again, if it could be proven that it is true. But I doubt that it has been. Once in a while, though, these things that we think are extinct Mm -hmm. wash up on beaches or somebody finds them, you know. So who knows? Like maybe there is still, you know, a Teratoran out there Mm -hmm. flying around, even though it's supposed to be extinct. You know, maybe there are a few of them, but people just don't see them that often. And then when somebody does that, they have this kind of reaction that you talk about where they're so unused to it that they fill in the blanks with a lot of, of their own mythology. No, I mean, again, I think it'd be, I love the movie Jurassic Park. If there was a plesiosaurus or some remnant or offspring of that floating around somewhere in a body of water here, I think that'd be fantastic. But again, I think it's the what if. It's the possibility that it could exist that people are so fascinated by. Getting into the cultural side of things a bit again, and and this is super interesting for me too, in a way. I mean, when we look at something like, say, superheroes, they're a reflection of the cultural climate of the times, for example, where people feel disenfranchised from wealth or justice, and they Mm -hmm. need this character to fill in that void. And so monsters are are almost doing the same thing, but they're almost kind of like an anti-hero in a way. No, I think that's very true. I think that's a very astute observation. I think, like you said, monsters fill in the gaps of what we're scared of or what we are trying to think is deviant or not supposed to be happening. So I fall under the school of belief that I think monsters or what we call monsters are meant to sort of police us um, in our social habits and our religious habits, even in our interactions with other people and with the environment. Of course, there's always, you know, the light in the dark that's in so many different global mythologies as well is the idea of you can't have the evil without the good and vice versa. So yeah, the superheroes, what would be the point of them and having these heroic characters if they didn't have something to fight a villain? But again, I think it depends on the perspective that you're looking at. Cause even a lot of the villains, you know, like Lex Luthor is the first one that pops into mind. One of the most famous, I doubt that he would see himself as a monster, but so many other people um, who are, you know, fans of Superman would. Exactly. There are characters that definitely that, that, you know, we would look at them and they're, they're not necessarily these handsome suited characters with the perfect square jaw and, and, and everything else. It's like, you know, we're back to beauty and the beast uh, again. Mm -hmm. They they can be these counterintuitive, but still ethically good characters. Mm -hmm. Well, that's like the real human condition, right? I mean, I don't know anyone personally who's completely good or completely bad. So I think all these stories, right, superheroes, monsters, in some ways are just extremes of the different sort of strata that exist in our own imaginations, in our own societies. What about as a social control mechanism? Mm, Yeah. Monsters are service social control. So I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Okay, even something like the Loch Ness Monster usually doesn't harm humans, 
but it's, you know, in this giant body of water. And this is very true for actually almost every water-based monster I've come across in my research. A lot of the time there's a fear of either ship sinking, people drowning, or people being eaten. And as we all know, the ocean and even lakes, rivers, are water is unpredictable. So to me, it makes complete sense that someone would, you know, tell their child or tell even adults in the community that, oh, you know, when the tide rises, that's when this monster comes to prey on people, because that's when that water source is particularly dangerous to humans. So I think that's one method of social control that's, you know, about preservation of the actual physical self. And then I do think there's more cultural social policing that comes into play. Serial killer movies like the slasher films that emerged um, in the 80s are a really good example of that. Uh, you know, who always gets killed in slasher films first? Those people are usually the ones seen as the deviants in real life as well. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Deviant in some certain way, depending yeah. on how they're, especially depending on how well they're, they happen to be dressed at the yeah. time. Sexuality, uh. <laughs> who they're attracted to, what substances yeah. they ingest. And I think we're seeing some changes of that recently in horror. And I think that's really interesting, but makes complete sense because as a whole, at least I like to think, but maybe I'm incorrect, that sometimes our opinions about things are changing and some are staying the same. So I think that horror movies, because they do deal really closely with the good and evil and not just that, but like, will you live or will you die? That they're an excellent barometer of what our culture values and what it considers to be worthy of being destroyed. Wow. That gets pretty deep. We can, we should, we could move into that a little bit more, but this does remind me a bit of another couple of guests we had on Mm -hmm. not long ago, back in May 31st, Chad Lewis and Kevin Lee Nelson, Mm -hmm. who had just written about the Wendigo. Yes. Uh, or Wendigo. I guess there's about 30 different ways you can say it. There so. <laughs> are many different ways, yes. Um, but again, social control. We're talking about wintertime. Mm-hmm. Don't venture away from the camp or the Wendigo will get you. Absolutely. And I did an episode about the Wendigo. I you see, I use Wendigo. So there's all different right. But I absolutely, it's about don't venture away from camp, you know, stay by the campfire, not just because it keeps away actual predators and, you know, keeps you warm and alive. But from a lot of the indigenous people's stories, I found in my research that it wasn't just about like getting away from the camp, but about sharing resources. The idea that you only became a Wendigo, well, there's two different ways, but the main way is that if you ate flesh of another human, which someone would only do right if they had some kind of illness or if they were starving to death. So there was this community idea that we are willing to share our resources with other people in our area because it's better for the community as a whole. So that just promotes cooperation and not turning into a giant, you know, cannibalistic, crazy ice monster. So there's that. Right. Too. Right. It instills a sort of uh, ethical social responsibility through mythological fear exactly which i guess religions do i mean is that i mean what about the devil or satan is that not a monster a hundred percent i mean i think that a lot of the indigenous peoples here in north america would argue that the wendigo is a hundred percent as much of their spiritual beliefs as the devil is to christianity absolutely it's still a viable component. I mean, I got a lot of feedback on my episode saying that I shouldn't have even written the word or said the word in its entirety because they practice avoidance of that word because they do believe it's something that actually exists even today. 
Right. And you'll get the same thing with people who are religious saying, well, you don't get out the Ouija board and you don't say the, the name <laughs> of the devil because you're just asking for trouble as, as if you'll be able to conjure it up somehow yeah. mere, merely by men- mentioning its name through some, some. And this brings up the whole idea of sort of incantation. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get into that in the next segment, but I will not say Beetlejuice three times <laughs> because I don't want to bring up Michael Keaton here. <laughs> then again, if we could, we'd have a really interesting show. Dr. Z, D- Gene Steinberg, and J. Randall Murphy, you're in The Paracast. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hey, Self-Reliance Gardeners, now that you've got your crisis garden planted, the next step is to make sure all your vegetables are going to grow like crazy the rest of the summer. For that, you'll need an all-natural, full-spectrum plant food that works to not only maximize nutritional uptake for you and your family, but is also guaranteed to make your fruits and vegetables actually taste better. The name of the product is Protogrow, a proprietary blend of bioactive superfoods for plants designed to produce rapid plant growth in record time, so much so that it almost forces plants to grow even under the worst light and soil conditions. It does this by combining powerful trace elements and micronutrients from seaweed extracts with a balanced blend of macronutrients from cold water fish. The result? Vegetables grow faster than ever because they now have the essential bioavailable nutrients they need. Go to growlikecrazy.com to learn more. Huge summer discounts now available. Growlikecrazy.com. Seven million children suffer from asthma more than any other chronic disease. Most asthma attacks are caused by allergic reactions to allergens, including those left behind by cockroaches and mice. In fact, 82% of U.S. households contain mouse allergens, and cockroaches are found in up to 98% of urban homes. How can you protect your family? Find out at PestWorld.org. A message from the National Pest Management Association and the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Attention homeowners that have ever had a broken appliance. (laughs) That's a joke, right? We've all had broken appliances. I own a home just like you and have found a way for as little as a dollar a day to have all the major appliances in my home on a warranty plan. They're guaranteed to be fixed or replaced. You know how expensive an air conditioner, the heating system, a washing machine, dryer, water heater, or refrigerator can be. For about a dollar a day, all your major appliances are protected in case they break. Unless you're uh, Daddy Warbucks or the Monopoly guy and you don't care about money, call my friends at the Home Service Club now and get a warranty on your major appliances. 
It's a free call, and the first month is free. But be one of the first 25 people to call within the next 10 minutes. 800 825 We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I would say here that J. Randall Murphy is not becoming a werewolf. But even a man who is, no, I don't want to go read that I was going to say, I feel like there's a butt coming. (laughs) There's never a but, is there? We never, we, we, no exceptions here. Randall, go ahead, please. Oh, okay. Well, so, since you're giving me the opportunity here, why not? I think we should go through a couple more of these sort of crossover type monsters because mm-hmm. our, our listeners, they're mainly interested in ufology and UFOs and things mm-hmm. that are connected with that. And another one that is connected with ufology is Bigfoot. Now, you've got Bigfoot, and then you've got similar creatures on the other side of the world. And and I'd kind of like this clarified for our listeners. I think I've got it figured out now after watching your show, by the way. <laughs> but we have over in um, Tibet the abominable mm-hmm. snowman. And I thought, well, okay, abominable snowman, Bigfoot, what's the difference? I mean, this sounds like the same thing, but over there, what, what have we got going with Bigfoot and abominable snowman? Yeah, and it's not just Bigfoot and the um, Yeti or Abominable Snowman. There's some different variations. I know, I believe in Scotland, there's one called, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, the Fearlioth, which is very similar in description, but more of a ghostly or spiritual apparition. And as you can gather from watching um, my Monster Yeti episode, I tend to believe that this is the case of a bear spotting um, or unusual bear behavior, maybe passed down from earlier generations of humans who encountered them more often. But that's obviously controversial. I mean, there's been evidence even in the last few years of scientists having to come out and refuting, no, this is not some kind of Neanderthal remnant going around. Although people do 100% swear up and down that Bigfoot is real, that the Yeti is real. And I think that's very interesting. But what do you all think? Do you think Bigfoot slash Yeti or any of these other large shaggy-haired humanoid creatures that can walk bipedally actually exist? Okay, I'll go first. (laughs) My my older brother and his wife actually had a sighting of some kind of Mm -hmm. creature like that here in Calgary. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, they were sitting up on one of the hills, just Mm -hmm. overlooking the city, enjoying the view, spending some time together. They had our family dog with them. They looked up, and this creature that they described as being a lot like a hulk 
which mm-hmm. I guess is sort of another kind of a monster in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's straight out of sci-fi, but it came running up over the hill and it had its head down and it was coming towards them. And it was fairly dark, so it didn't see them. So they thought, well, let's let the dog out. I believe them both. They mm-hmm. seem very sincere about this. Uh, there was a little bit of snow on the ground. As soon as they cracked the door of the car, it stopped and looked and saw them. And the dog went running after it. And it turned around and went running back down. Oh, wow. And then the dog chased it. And it went down into a ravine where there was a barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. And they followed the dog. And the tracks got to the fence. And then they stopped. Mm-hmm. And the dog was there, and it is just as if it had vanished. But there were tracks in the snow. They said they swore this thing was real, way bigger than a normal human being. So, mm-hmm. of course, that's anecdotal. But mm-hmm. when you get so many other stories of people who say they saw something similar, it gets pretty hard to just mm-hmm. dismiss them as liars, mm-hmm. you know? So, I yeah. do believe that people are having genuine experiences, mm-hmm. but... But exactly what it is, I'm not sure. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I definitely don't think, as you said, that these people should be called liars because, you know, I'm sure they 100% experienced that the story that they're telling. But I, you're right. You're absolutely right. Maybe it's something that we haven't discovered yet. I think a lot about the Kraken. I personally find uh, the ocean to be terrifying and beautiful. And to me, the stories of the Kraken talking about this giant tentacled sea monster and out you know, that giant squid at Colossal Squid exist. Maybe there is some kind of other mammalian creature running around in different parts of the world that we just haven't gotten a hold of a specimen yet. I'm not saying that's not possible. I just don't know if it's supernatural, I guess is my personal opinion. Yes, exactly. I personally, I'm not a believer in the supernatural. I th- I do believe that these things happen to people. They have genuine experiences. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain them, but whatever it is, I would say that there's got to be some sort of physical explanation. Mm -hmm. It could be a case where people are just imagining them Mm. because of some sort of a hallucination or something. But I think there are way too many experiences for even that to be a reasonable explanation when it comes to Mm -hmm. some things. But we're not here to get into so much what I think or what he thinks. (laughs) (laughs) We should really talk about uh, some more of these very interesting monsters that are crossovers with with, uh, ufology. And another one is the chupacabra. Oh, yes. Now, it started appearing along with stories of UFOs because some of the people that were reporting it were the same people who were reporting on UFOs. So I think people started associating the two. But are they really connected? I would say no from the knowledge that I have of that. So the original sightings of the chupacabras did occur in Puerto Rico. It gets really interesting because essentially the first sightings occurred around the time some big alien movies. Um, I know, oh gosh, it's escaping me right now. It might be called Alien. Yeah. No. Well, there was yeah. the Ridley Scott yeah. Alien. I'm thinking of the one with like the beautiful woman, Species. Oh, uh, Species, definitely, yeah. yes. So one of the eyewitness accounts had just seen the species movies. So some people argue that that depiction was influenced by the movie. But I think that's more of pop culture influencing the creature rather than, I think, vice versa. They still actually have no real explanation for the animal deaths that occurred in Puerto Rico that to the chupacabra. There were more than 2,000 animals by 1996, I think, that were attributed to um, chupacabras. And, I mean, there were government necropsies. 
there were all these very interesting sort of things that happened, like search parties with political candidates and police officers. And it's fascinating. So this was something that was very real to the people in that area. And I think part of the reason with so many monsters, as we were saying, same thing with the Wendigo, right? That there was actually a real thing occurring at the same time. Animals were dying unexpectedly. People couldn't figure out why. And this creature emerged from that. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you've heard from some other um, people on your show before, but I think the UFO aspect came into it after the first Chupacabra sightings. I was going to give this answer before when you ask about Bigfoot, for example, whether something is going on. The problem I have with Bigfoot is that we always seem to be one or two steps away from evidence. We don't have real DNA indicating a creature of a species we don't know about. Mm-hmm. It never seems to happen. Of course, that's also yeah. quite true about UFOs in general, that we always seem to be one step away from having solid evidence that something strange is going on. That being said, it wouldn't surprise me if there are creatures out there that can be mistaken, Mm. misidentified as something unknown, and thus we get the legends of Bigfoot. But then again, we have other weird things too, which is the fact that there are some parts of the country, like that mysterious valley, for example, where they appear to have events that seem to encompass a number of different areas, mm-hmm. cattle mutilations and UFOs and Bigfoot mm-hmm. and such. we got more to come with Dr. Z and Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, silverlungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full-body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. USA Radio News with John Hunt. As officials across the country pleaded with Americans to curb their enthusiasm for large 4th of July crowds, President Donald Trump brought the masses with a special evening of tribute and fireworks, and the president spoke of unity in the United States. We will not allow anyone to divide our citizens by race or background. We will not allow them to foment hate, discord, and distrust. We will hold fast and true to the sacred loyalties that link us all as neighbors, as Americans, and as patriots to build a future where every family is safe, where every child is surrounded by love, where every community has equal opportunity, 
and every citizen enjoys great and everlasting dignity. Listen online anytime at usaradio.com. This is USA Radio News. An Arizona woman fell to her death inside the Grand Canyon National Park. According to the National Park Service, the woman was taking photos with her family at Mather Point when she fell. The body was recovered by park rangers about 100 feet below the canyon's rim near the South Rim's visitor center. The Grand Canyon had 17 fatalities in 2018 and 19 in 2019. Grand Canyon National Park is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the U.S., drawing nearly 6.4 million visitors a year. An eight-year-old boy was killed in a shooting at an Alabama shopping mall that left three other people injured. Hoover Police Chief Nick DeZaris said the child was killed in the afternoon shooting at the River Chase Galleria. A girl and two other adults were hospitalized after the shooting. The Bessemer City School System identified the eight-year-old victim as Royta Giles Jr. He would have been a third grader, and the school system described him as a smart child who was a jewel and big dreams of someday entering the music industry. This is USA Radio News. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's a clip from the Rachel Ray Show testing the results of Instantly Ageless. Board certified dermatologist, Dr. Whitney Bow. If you're looking to try to turn back the clock on a budget, you know, in the privacy of your own home, but actually there's some recent technologies emerging, almost like changes the behavior of the skin right. while it sits on the skin. She went off to try a product called instantly ageless yeah instantly you could see a difference even the cameraman were like wow look at the difference yeah I mean, but i would definitely use this product this product within minutes of applying it it was actually a very dramatic rejuvenation try instantly ageless today at gcnlife.com that's gcnlife.com 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at gcnlife.com that's gcnlife.com Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We've got more to come with Dr. Z and Gene and Randall. And let's, you know, I don't want to get off that, but did you ever explore, for example, Dr. Z, mm-hmm. situations where we have the so-called window areas where lots of weird things seem to happen in greater frequency than elsewhere? Yes. Only tangentially, like I said about chupacabras or um, I'm trying to think of some other werewolves, even vampires. There were a lot of sightings of that in the early 1700s. So I do think there are certain areas and aspects of time where there are more sightings for certain types of monsters. But I think that those explanations are different depending on the type of monster. When we get to vampires, now supposedly... (laughs) The original legend of Dracula was about a mass murderer, Vladimir Taylor, from what, the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Is that a major source of that legend? or No, that's completely urban myth. There is absolutely no evidence that Bram Stoker was influenced by Vladimir Taylor at all. Now, I understand there were things about his private life mm-hmm. that he kind of touched over in yeah. Dracula. Is yeah, that correct? I, 
So, yeah, Stoker did a lot of research um, at various libraries um, in Ireland, for example, and even here, I believe in the U.S., looking at all different kinds of mythologies um, and stories from folklore, history, and sort of combined them into Dracula. Contrary to popular belief, he never visited Romania or Transylvania. And like I said, he did not base the monster on Vlad the Impaler, but he definitely took so many notes. I want to say it was over a hundred pages, I think, of newspaper articles. He went to grave sites to look at tombstones, talked to sailors and other people just to get their life experiences. So a lot of the things we see with Dracula and what Stoker did differently is that he combined sort of pre-existing folklore and myths of even actually like the werewolf and some undead creatures and previous iterations of the vampire and turned them into what we now more recognize as the vampire based on Dracula. Now, one thing, too, for those who've ever read the real book, the original book, some of the movies have touched on it. But the original Dracula, the movie and the plan, which was based only vaguely resembled the original novel, which consisted of a series of diaries from different characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in literature, we call that an epistolary novel, meaning that it's yeah told in letters, diary entries, and essentially as other fictional, like secondary texts, which I do agree. I wish we see, we could see more of that. Um, I think from my experience and research, the closest we actually get to an accurate depiction of Dracula would actually be Nosferatu which was notoriously actually part of a lawsuit with Bram Stoker's um, wife because the similarities were so close. Of course, we realize later when it comes to Hollywood making movies, they will buy the rights to a book. And (laughs) what they produce will barely resemble that book. Mm -hmm. The most blatant example is way before you were born, Dr. Z, where they had a book called Flying Saucers from Outer Space by Major Donald Kehoe, which was... It may actually be public domain now, but it was a typical book of the 50s about UFOs possibly being spaceships that the government is hiding the secret. Hollywood bought that book and turned it into Earth versus the Flying Saucers, one of the better B sci-fi movies of the 50s. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know if you ever saw that movie. It's worth yeah. seeing if you have any interest in that kind of film. Because okay. it had brilliant special effects from Ray Harryhausen. Far better than you expect in a low-budget film. But only the first 30 seconds of the film relates it all to that book. Wow. The rest is aliens on the loose coming here to invade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually, that you talk about liberties and interpretation. And it's not, we see that, like you said, all the time when someone tries to adapt um, a book for the screen. But I think we also see that in older folklore and even literature, right, is, again, different people with different worldviews or who want to change things up, maybe turn an oral tradition into a written folklore or myth that becomes obvious. Um, The Grimm brothers are a really great example of this because they wrote down um, a lot of their fairy tales to become incredibly famous today from real conversations they had with individuals. But we're not getting direct transcripts of what those people were saying. We're getting sort of their sensationalized, stylized version of a lot of those different stories. And of course, the biggest change in Grimm was the TV show called Grimm, which had very little relationship to any of that. You had all these creatures whose faces morphed 
into some kind of monster. Now, just as a corollary here, one of the TV series that actually is close to the original stories is something called Bosch, which is a police procedural about L.A. detective. Mm-hmm. And the reason is the creator, Michael Connolly, was a producer for the show. So oh. the creator had full control over how it became. But mm-hmm. that's so rare in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just personally, I'm all about individual. I think that different sort of interpretations and adaptations have their place, but I love good original content, especially when it comes to monsters. What do you, in your opinion, is sort of the most, say, recent or original different kind of monster movie that you've seen in a while? That's, whew, that's hard. Like a creation of some kind of non-human monster or like a thriller horror movie, more like a slasher zombie type. Just whatever fits the bill, uh, in your opinion, is mm-hmm. in, with all of your experience. <laughs> I think this goes back a little bit to our earlier discussion about kind of different types of horror and how we respond. But I think I've seen a lot of horror that I've really enjoyed that relies more on the individual and like the humans as being scary or very human like monsters being scary. Um, things like we've seen a lot, an increase in cults. Um, movies about cults or witchcraft or brainwashing, um, isolation, turning people mad. So I guess the reinvention of the human as the monster has oh, been oh, okay. fascinating to me. Well, that's kind of interesting because when we're looking at something like, say, Terminator. Yeah. Here we're reinventing humans as machines who turn out to be our adversaries in the cause of our demise, our destruction. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the reasons I love things like the undead or zombie movies in particular, because nine times out of ten, the zombie, and this is actually true for a lot of monster movies, the monster usually isn't the problem. It's the human response to the monster that can be just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. Remember here, of course, with Frankenstein, I know people used to think Frankenstein was the monster, not the doctor who created the monster, but then it's the fault of Mm -hmm. Dr. Frankenstein that we had this monster to begin with. He did something Mm -hmm. that was wrong. Just sometimes it was the fault of somebody that we had Dracula because somebody took the stake out of his heart like they did in one of the movies where Boris Karloff plays this mad scientist Mm -hmm. and they have the skeleton, the original Dracula, and of course he's escaping to take control of this this traveling freak show. And getting mad at somebody, he pulls the stake out of Dracula's heart, and it becomes John Carradine. Yeah, I just love all... Again, I think that humans are more often monstrous, and I, I think zombies are on my brain right now. Huh, pun. But I think something like 28 days later, 28 weeks later... Um, the movie Train to Busan, which is a fantastic uh, movie from South Korea that came out about zombie movies a few years ago that I highly recommend. Or even like Night of the Living Dead. I mean, those are all the zombie, the walking corpse or corpse-like creature hell-bent on destruction and murder doesn't mean as much of an immediate threat than things like the military or survivors who want to trick you into giving getting your resources. And I think that those sometimes often are the most scary movies because it blurs the line between fiction and reality. We're going to have some more reality right now. And then back to Dr. Z and we're going to find the differences between reality 
and mm-hmm. whatever. With Gene and Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions. SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. Houseflies defecate every four to five minutes, spreading diseases and germs. Protect your food and your health with Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic, no batteries required, only $39.95. Use discount code GCN and get an extra 10% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter. Get your Bug Assault today. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal Hair Care System is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. If you have diabetes and you're on Medicare, Medicaid, or have private insurance, you may qualify for a new continuous glucose monitor. Managing your diabetes is crucial to your health. The new CGM can automatically and easily help you manage your diabetes more effectively. And by using a CGM, you can eliminate the one thing most people with diabetes dislike the most, finger sticks. 
Now you can automatically manage your diabetes and end the painful finger sticks. Solara Medical Supplies makes it simple for you to have a new CGM. We'll do all the insurance paperwork for you and deliver the newest in diabetic care technology right to your door. Take charge of your diabetes today with the help of a new continuous glucose monitor. Call now to learn more. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. 800-547-5331. That's 800-547-5331. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. We continue with Dr. Z, and I have to say this, we think when we had the current pandemic that we're all suffering through, I wouldn't be surprised if some people said, yeah, the zombie apocalypse is here. Why are zombies so popular? I could never get into people just looking (laughs) grotesque with, well, it comes out thriller to me and Michael Jackson, but that's just me. No, I mean, that's definitely a cultural touchstone of zombies, but zombies, and this is kind of my passion project, as I mentioned way earlier on in this interview, um, my dissertation was about the undead. So studying reanimated corpses is technically my specialty, but I think that zombies, which there's a difference between a zombie and the undead, but I won't bore you with all the legitimates with that, but essentially the idea of a flesh-eating reanimated human body goes back thousands of years in certain cultures. And it wasn't until actually Haitian slavery and some of the movement in the Atlantic slave trade that the idea of the mindless reanimated corpse was introduced um, largely to the Western world, particularly North America. And then with Romero um, and a couple other movies uh, in the 60s as well alongside him, Uh, made the idea zombies as mindless flesh eaters. Zombies have always evolved based on um, the current cultural issues. So for something like Night of the Living Dead, Romero purposefully didn't want there to be any clear reason why they were reanimated or why they became, you know, flesh eaters. Then we had a slew of zombie movies after that, merging a little bit more from the Cold War and some of the communist sentiments coming up that there was more attribution to, um, you know, some kind of atomic zombie. And then, of course, with things like genetic engineering and experimenting with bioweapons and terrorism, then we see more of the pandemic or the bioweapon-caused zombies. So with that being said, and I've been asked this a lot recently, With the current state of the world right now, I would guess probably two years from now, we're going to be seeing, again, a lot of cult movies and a lot more maybe zombie movies, but definitely sort of science causing, you know, the big evil or maybe nature responding in some kind of violent way movies. So I try to, you know, have a silver lining in everything. And I think I'm very interested to see what horror will look like um, in the decade following this one. Now, bear in mind, humans caused a lot of the results of horror films, Godzilla. Godzilla, of course... Originally, as a result of nuclear tests, and mm-hmm. just thinking when this movie came out in the 50s, it came from Japan. Absolutely. Right. And yeah, some I've kind of genetic mutation as a result of a nuclear blast, and we have this 50 foot monster with Raymond yes. Burr. Oh, by the way, for those who ever saw the original Godzilla, 
the actual version did not have Raymond Burr or any English language <laughs> conversation. What happened is they bought this film from Japan, redubbed it, and added this segment featuring a reporter from America to kind of narrate what was going on. Mm-hmm. Just some historical perspective. And also when they did that, they edited out some of the more overt references and images relating um, to the atomic bomb, which I would argue is because trying to go to more Western and American audience. Yeah, the original Godzilla Gojira came out in 1954. And as you mentioned, the sort of dubbed recut version that was more global was definitely sterilized, at least in my opinion, of a lot of the social and political commentary in the original Japanese version. But I have a deep spot in my heart for the original Godzilla movie, not just because of the meaning that it had in Japan and for the creators, but there's something about when you actually finally see the face of the original Godzilla that is hilarious to me because it's not really scary and his head pops up behind this mountain and it's clearly so fake that I just find him cute uh, in the original, but I definitely can't say that with uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters in the more recent versions. Right. I just well, wonder, though, if the original creators of that character understood how it became a cultural icon. Mm-hmm. You know, then we have, of course, Godzilla versus King Kong, and that's the mm-hmm. end. And we have Andy Serkis playing King Kong. Yeah. I'm here for it. I'm a huge fan of kaiju, both the older movies, the newer iterations. I've spoken on many interviews before of how much I love Mothra. So I love those kind of movies, I think that they're so fun in so many ways, um, and they're action movies with giant monsters, so what's not to love? Right, and, and, but you know what's really funny about that, too, is we find ourselves rooting for one or the other of them because we somehow identify with them. It's like, no, we don't want poor Godzilla. He was this giant, horrible monster that kills all kinds of people, yeah. but we don't want it to lose, you know? It's like, come on, Godzilla, get in there. You can do it. Yeah, it's almost like Godzilla or the giant becomes like a catharsis of, you know, maybe all the destruction we want to do and like taking down the bad guy. But I think that's one of the reasons. So Mothra, the female moth sort of goddess kaiju, she actually in a study, I want to say in the late 2000s, the actual date's escaping me right now. She was the most popular kaiju in Japan. She's more benevolent, so the destruction she causes is more by accident because she's trying to save people. And I think we see a little bit more of that in later Godzilla movies, right, with the idea of Godzilla defending humanity from some other giant crazy kaiju that's coming up. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I always got the impression from Godzilla Mm -hmm. that it was nature's response Mm -hmm. to man's abuse of nature specifically the nuclear weaponry yep and and that it was nature's way of equalizing that with its own response kind Mm -hmm. of thing i mean maybe i was reading too much into it but no that's kind of what i you're absolutely not and i think again that the original japanese version of the film makes that connection extremely clear and at least in the original it's not just like nature responding it's that Godzilla has always existed and probably would have stayed dormant, but it was exactly the the atomic bomb and nuclear testing is what caused him to reemerge. Basically, it came from the ocean to you know feed on humankind as a response to World War II and nuclear testing, which is 
fascinating. I think something worth talking about because again, you're definitely not reading too much into it. So when people say that, I'm always like, no, no, you're right. The original creators and the original audience it was attended for, that was the purpose. And some experts even argue that a lot of the scenes in the original Gojira, which show a lot of mourning of the people um, in the island that he appears on and some sort of funerary scenes and as being a way for Japanese people in that time period to mourn um, culturally and collectively for what happened during the war. It's actually really deep when you start looking at it from that level. Mm-hmm. Not many professors are also media personalities who deal with the paranormal. Yeah. In fact, it seems that one of the criticisms of people who are into the paranormal is that it gives them some sense of importance that makes up for what they lack in <laughs> academic credibility. But Now we have PhDs like yourself and (laughs) Professor Paul Kingsbury from Simon Fraser University who are looking at the paranormal from an academic perspective Mm -hmm. through the lens of their cultural significance. And it also turns out that many people who have had paranormal experiences are also well-educated. Now, Mm -hmm. does this, in your opinion, represent a shift in attitudes Mm. by academia towards an acceptance of the paranormal? I'm not sure if it's an acceptance of academia of the paranormal, but an increasing or somewhat increasing recognition of the humanities fields in general as being worthwhile for exploration. I'm not familiar with all the people who study monsters or the paranormal, um, but a lot of the time they tend to be anthropologists, sociologists, film and media studies, literature, even art or psychologists. And I think that's what the humanities can offer. Again, not necessarily looking for you know, the scientific physics or engineering or explanations for some of these events and activities, but more about how we can understand the moments that might explain why people said they existed or they saw them at all. Yeah. And I've argued the same sort of thing with people out here in the world of ufology, that if we were to take it into the world of academia. It really does belong in the humanities. Mm -hmm. And can you see maybe in the future, like a department of the paranormal in the humanities that might include things like ufology and all of these other uh, strange things? I don't know about a whole department of the humanities are being underfunded uh, historically, at least in the United States right now and have been for very many years. So the chances of the department are very unlikely. But I do think that the more people like myself and some of these other experts and educated individuals are willing to talk about these things, that there's more likely that other people will feel confident enough to explore them. And I think that kind of exploration can only lead to more knowledge. I know I get emails um, from fans of Monstrum asking, I want to do what you do. Like, what did you study? What courses do you take? What do you recommend? And my response to that is always only do it if you are passionate about it, but you need to have a background and being able to do really good research. More with Dr. Z and Gene and Randall, you're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy 
We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how'd it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Now, we're going to take you back in time here a little bit. Before you went to school and before you got involved in this profession, were you ever asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what was the, an- <laughs> what was the answer, Dr. Z? Oh, my gosh. The answer changed so much. I know when I was younger, uh, under 10, because, of course, I've always been a huge nerd, apparently, I wanted to be an Egyptologist. I was always fascinated by Egypt. And I think that does kind of connect to what I do now is that I always really love the mythology and the combination of their gods and goddesses, a lot of them having both animal and um, human characteristics. Then I wanted to be a reporter, which is actually why I originally went to school to be a journalist. I knew I wanted to write in some capacity and to learn and to read, but in terms of even getting a PhD in literature and certainly what I am doing now with my career was not something I ever would have expected when I was younger or quite frankly would have felt I could do. And this is maybe my own perspective and I think things are changing. But when I was growing up, I loved reading like scary stories to tell in the dark and Stephen King when I was like in fourth and fifth grade. And I was really absorbing all this sci-fi and this horror, but it was something I always did like privately or with my family. I never felt like with the exception of, you know, maybe Pokemon cards or something that I could talk about monsters and horror with my friends because it wasn't seen as girly in a lot of ways. So, and I think that's changing now. And I sincerely hope that my work and the work of other 
female and non-binary individuals out there talking about horror can encourage people to do what they want. I wish I could have, you know, said however many years ago that, yeah, I want to be an undead expert or I want to have a show about monsters. I wish I could have said that, but my career has definitely taken a path that I would not have expected, safe to say. Is there a book in your future? Funny you should mention that. I can't say too much about it at the moment, but I am actually working on two book projects right now. Um, Again, very early on stages, but one of them would be for a more public audience that I would actually be doing uh, in collaboration with an amazing illustrator. So that would be something really fun. And then, yes, I am also working on turning my dissertation about the undead uh, before Dracula and before 1850, basically, as a book. So hopefully, yeah, in the next couple of years, I'll be having a few books coming out. Well, then they can buy the book in Hollywood and turn it into some kind of monster <laughs> film. Hey, if that funds me to be able to keep doing Monstrum for forever and actually talking about these stories more in depth, they can have it. That must be a really fun show to do. What's it like, actually, to work with these people? And Because you're busy enough with doing your teaching, so what drives you to do this? Two things. I'm really stubborn and really passionate about it. I was actually discouraged um, really early on in my PhD career about pursuing the undead. I was actually told by a fairly prominent individual in the field that I would not be able to have a career if I continued to talk about things like vampires and zombies in the undead, which, which I wish I could respond like, look at me now. Um, But I sort of decided to ignore that and to write what I really loved to do, which just happens to be monsters. So that's what keeps me going. Um, In terms of working on the show, it is, as I said before, a labor of love because it does take so much time and energy. A general outline of how the show works is I'll come up with a list of monsters and pitch them to my amazing production team. And we'll decide on a couple for me to explore further. And ideally, it doesn't always work this way, ideally I'll spend at least two weeks of research on each episode before I even attempt to write it. Uh, We go through, depends, sometimes two, sometimes four or five variations of the script. And until COVID-19, I would then fly to Austin, Texas, to the production studio, and we would batch film, usually minimum three and sometimes up to six episodes at a time. And then I'd fly back and sometimes teach the next morning. So it definitely is a lot. And then, of course, from, you know, actually me being on camera and writing the script, there are so many people behind the scenes in terms of editors and creative directors and producers and our amazing illustrator that really give the show so much texture and so much depth. And I'm just incredibly fortunate to not only be able to do what I love and to share it with the world, but to work with such an awesome and encouraging group of people in the process. If it's not too personal, do you actually have a family life, too? I do have a family life. Um, I was married earlier this year, and I have a bird. So that's currently (laughs) (laughs) what I do right now. Yeah, so it's it's, it's a lot to balance. But I'm fortunate enough to have a supportive partner, a supportive family, and colleagues and friends. So You you have a bird. You don't have a dog. You have a bird. (laughs) No, just a bird. Um, Her name is Archie, a.k.a. Captain Archimedes Ursula. Uh, she's quite the character, but no dog yet in the future for sure. But right now with everything going on, the bird's a little bit more manageable. Well, then again, you don't have to take the bird out. Not a on a walk, a day. but trust me, she has to come out every day multiple times because she's 
a bird, people understand this, having any kind of like parrot or relatively intelligent bird is like having a puppy or a toddler. Like they like routine, they like stimulation. You have to play with them. You have to talk to them. She's my own little monster, I guess you could say. But maybe you should be writing a monster story next. I mean, a fictional story. (laughs) I've thought about it. I don't know what I would do now. There's just so many, I feel like, fantastic fictional storytellers other than myself. But my mom brought this to my attention um, a couple months ago, which I'd kind of forgotten about that for... (laughs) so embarrassing. When I was a senior in high school, we, I was in honors and we had the option to write, I don't know, something like a 20 or 30 page research paper or like a 50 or 70 page short story. And I was like, yes, I choose that. And I wrote a story about a zombie outbreak that happens in New York city because of the exposure of a bioweapon to the water source. And I actually talked to some people from the CDC way back when who were very kind, um, who at least at that time point told me that all the emergency supplies that New York City would actually need aren't housed on New York City, like on the island itself, because it's so expensive. So that kind of became the impetus for my novella. So I don't know if that's the route I would go if I did make a fictional story now, but you never know. Maybe when I get my first two books out that maybe I will do something fictional. Well, you always look at it this way. It's strange that when we have a lot of this fiction, especially now, you have a particularly large city that's isolated from the rest of the world or the rest of the country because of an outbreak of something. Mm -hmm. Something takes it over. Mm -hmm. Again, I think it's changing a little bit because of how technology and we can, you know, move with cars and airplanes. But um, I know I've seen a shift in zombies where more frequently it's less one specific isolated location and more like a global thinking world war Z, um, which is actually, I think an underrated book and movie in some ways, but no, I think that pandemic and the idea of some kind of contagion and isolation or isolation in general harkens back to original ideas of Gothic horror, right? Where there's an inside and an outside you know, the creepy old house or the spooky broken down abbey or something as being a place of evil or of horror. And I think now we've translated that in some ways to being broader locations. Um, I know Slender Man, I think, is an excellent example of this, of something like the digital gothic, where the internet and technology itself has become the contagion factor or the place where horror resides. I know Stephen King wrote a book called Cell about that too, where people became zombified because of a cell signal sent through all electronic communication. Well, then again, maybe the internet can be the next monster mm-hmm. or it's the future Skynet. Yeah. It starts with the internet, then takes us over. And then yeah, we, we, build these, we build these robotic yeah. beings, which we're doing already. Mm-hmm. We're starting mm-hmm. on that. I mean, we've yeah. put artificial intelligence into our tiny mobile mm-hmm. devices. Think about where we can take this. We are giving machine learning. So your iPhone has machine learning. If it's a recent version, it'll be incorporated mm-hmm. into Macintosh computers. And then how far is that from building a full-scale robotic creature? We've got more to come with Dr. Z and Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. (laughs) 
Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hi, Bill Hyde here for Safe Places USA. If you're thinking it might be finally time to move out of a dangerous urban area to a safer place before things get worse, pay close attention. Because the feeling in your gut, the one telling you to get out, could save your life. Here's why. You can now find out where the safest places in this country are by going to safeplacesusa.com and checking out the Ultimate Relocation Manual. It's your personal guide to the tips, tricks, and techniques for relocating your family to the safest places in America. All broken down in 15 strategic, critical categories along with checklists and preparation sources. So if you want a clear path to getting out of Dodge, go to safeplacesusa.com. That's safeplacesusa.com. Use coupon code GCN and get half off the manual all this week. Plus, get the following books free with your ultimate relocation manual. Pandemic Survival Secrets. Your Home, Your Fortress. All free this week at safeplacesusa.com. You've been hearing Dr. Wallach talking about 90 essential nutrients, keeping the body healthy. GCNteam.com now has Beyond Tangy Tangerine Tablets, 60 plant-derived minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, packed in a powerful tablet. But that's not it. 160,000 auric points, a knockout punch to free radicals. Call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. That's 877-878-4203. Stop aging now. Restore those joints. Boost your strength. Because it's official. Nutramedical has released the most exciting, powerful anti-aging supplement on the market. Dr. Bill Deagle's Red Deer Velvet DR has been approved by the U.S. Patent Office. Imagine stem cell rejuvenation all in one capsule without huge expense. Dr. Bill MD discovered that as an unborn baby grows in the mother's womb, he or she does not deteriorate or physically age. Red Deer Velvet DR, like the uterus, provides 300 biomolecules and six hormones protected in one special DR capsule that delivers lipid packages directly into your circulation. This patented technology bypasses the stomach and is released into the small bowel unaltered by digestive enzymes and stomach acid. Remember, Red Deer Velvet DR. Improve endurance, stimulate your immune system, increase learning ability, and even improve sexual libido with Red Deer Velvet DR. Click NutriMedical.com. That's N-U-T-R-I Medical.com. Or call toll-free 888-212-8871 and get on the road to a newer, rejuvenated, happier you. Have you ever thought about turning your Glock, XD family, or 1911 handgun into a semi-automatic carbine? It only takes about 30 seconds. The MacTech carbine upper is classified as an accessory and can be delivered right to your doorstep with no FFL or background check required. 
It's the world's most versatile pistol accessory. Build your custom upper today. Simply go to handgunconversion.com. That's handgunconversion.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So what is the monster? Is it the physical creature? Is it the Bigfoot? Is it the Mothman? Is it the chupacabra? Is it something from ancient times? Is it the vampire? Or is it the digital universe that has immersed us? We are all immersed into this soup of radiation of some sort. Hmm. Do you ever get in terms of monsters into ghost legends at all? Yes, I have done some research on La Llorona and the Banshee, which are both um, female sort of ghostly apparition uh, monsters or the Banshee, actually, maybe not necessarily. But yeah, I think the paranormal in terms of like spiritual and ghosts, I haven't touched on as much, but it's definitely something I want to um, explore in the future. I think so far, the issue has just been a lot of the time it's so broad. I mean, some kind of ghost or spiritual apparition exists in virtually every um, culture, which I find fascinating and definitely want to explore more. Of course, right now, the biggest thing is it's always, almost always, it is someone who is dead who comes back to life. Mm -hmm. That's the ghost. It's not some creature from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's always related to something. It's related to the house you live in. It's Mm -hmm. related to the building you go to. It's related to your family. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, like the ghost in the machine, the idea that even a thought or an electronic digital code can infiltrate. I think that's, yeah, I think we have two different types of sort of ghosts. There is the spiritual revenant, the, you know, phantasm that appears from a dead person. And then there's the maybe idea um, that sort of permeates and can take over or infect someone. Now, we've talked about this so much as being myths or what people report. Have you ever had an experience that, well, was a little bit more than ordinary? A hundred percent. I completely believe um, in ghosts and apparitions, and I have experienced a little bit of that myself. Um, And I know some people who have had far more intense experiences Um, So, yes, I have experienced the paranormal. Tell us. (laughs) Okay, so long story short, the attic of my grandparents' house uh, had been converted into bedrooms because they had so many children, as a good Catholic family back then did. So I'm sleeping in what we called the princess room, which was where all the girls wanted to sleep because it was very girly and frilly. And when I was younger from, I don't know, six or seven, I would swear up and down. I'd wake up in the middle of the night every time I stayed there. And I wouldn't open my eyes because I knew like deep in my bones that if I had opened my eyes, I would have seen this young girl with a long white nightgown and black hair or like dark hair looking at me, like watching me sleep. And I never got the sense that she was bad or malevolent or evil in any way, maybe just like curious, but 
as much as I believe in the paranormal, I don't want to, or even then I'm still too afraid to like actually see something. I don't know how my brain would compute that. So I never opened my eyes, but I always knew she was there. And this happened for years and years. And when I was in my um, early twenties, I was at a family reunion, two of my other female cousins. And keep in mind, I had never brought this up to anyone about this girl and my experience when I was sleeping because I was convinced since I read all the time and, you know, was into all these horror things that everyone thought I had an overactive imagination and no one would believe me. But we were talking about another paranormal experience that happened in the family. And I said, you know, I always got the feeling when I was in the princess room that there was a little girl and one of my cousins goes with the white nightgown and another cousin says, and the dark hair. (laughs) And we all had never talked about it before. And we'd all had the same experience of this girl watching us, but it was never bad. And I think when we had that recognition, I went back years later and I was (laughs) taking a nap um, in the room and I felt her touch me. And it was kind of like, thanks, sorry, I'm in your space, but I'm just going to sleep right now and we can like hang out later. And then the feeling was removed, like the, you know, the pressure and the coldness from my leg and I haven't been back to my grandparents since, but who knows what would happen if I went back now. What did they think of it, or did you ever mention it to them? To my grandparents? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if it was my grandmother or some of my uncles did a little bit of digging, and it turned out that the very first people who would own the house, um, when it was much smaller and first built, they did have a daughter who was under the age of 10, I can't remember her exact age, who died at the hospital. I want to say from pneumonia, from some kind of, you know, illness. And even though she didn't die in the house, I believe in energies above everything else. So I think my personal belief about the paranormal, whether it's good or bad, that ghosts or spirits can return to places where they feel a strong emotional connection. For me, it made total sense that even if this girl died in a hospital, that she would return to her family home because that's where she had the most ties um, and most positive emotional experiences in her life. So maybe you're one step removed from being a ghost hunter. (laughs) That may be your next pursuit. Yeah, maybe. Um, Yeah, I've heard people say that I'm, you know, like the real life version of the X-Files or the, the brothers and the supernatural brothers. And yeah, I've gotten a lot of that kind of stuff. I'll take it. I'm just doing what I love and having a good time doing it. Ever see a UFO? I have never seen any kind of unidentified flying object or aerial phenomenon. Um, I did see some weird lights once, but we are in the desert. So I don't know half the time what's roaming around out here at night anyway. Well, there's some pretty weird people out there. Of course, I don't want to claim to be one of them because I don't go out at night. I'm just stay indoors. I'm a hermit. But my middle name is not Herman. That's something that's just too ancient for you. It's interesting, though, about the ghost experiences and where they happen, particularly in families. Mm-hmm. Certain families seem to have more than others, I would think. Did you look into that in doing your folklore research, whether specific religions, ethnic groups, genders, yes. races? Um- It completely depends on the culture. Um, uh, There are some monsters, and I guess not necessarily monsters, but there are a lot of powerful spiritual healers and people of importance, like priestesses, um, in some older spiritual belief practices that 
believe that only women could tap into those resources. But again, some would also think only men. I know the Banshee, that actually is more connected to class and aristocracy. Um, It was originally believed that only basically people who were rich enough to have an estate and like the have the O apostrophe name, um, who were aristocratic, were the ones who had a banshee attached to their family. I know that things like skinwalkers um, can curse certain lines of both genders or entire families. Um, So yeah, I think it really just depends on the monster and the area. But there are absolutely some uh, beliefs in the paranormal and supernatural connected to specific groups of people. Well, I have known some Wiccans in my life Mm-hmm. And there certainly are lots of interesting things one could say about that. I have one experience to give you after this. More to come with Dr. Z and Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Houseflies defecate every four to five minutes, spreading diseases and germs. Protect your food and your health with Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun, which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic, no batteries required, only $39.95. Use discount code GCN and get an extra 10% off your purchase at BugAssault.com. Fire your fly swatter. Get your Bug Assault today. Anytime, any place, anywhere. Radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. USA Radio News with John Hunt. As officials across the country pleaded with Americans to curb their enthusiasm for large Fourth of July crowds, President Donald Trump brought the masses with a special evening of tribute and fireworks, and the president spoke of unity in the United States. Not allow anyone to divide our citizens by race or background. We will not allow them to foment hate, discord, and distrust. We will hold fast and true to the sacred loyalties that link us all as neighbors, as Americans, and as patriots to build a future where every family is safe, where every child is surrounded by love, where every community has equal opportunity, and every citizen enjoys great and everlasting dignity. Listen online anytime at usaradio.com. This is USA Radio News. An Arizona woman fell to her death inside the Grand Canyon National Park. According to the National Park Service, the woman was taking photos with her family at Mather Point when she fell. The body was recovered by park rangers about 100 feet below the canyon's rim near the South Rim's visitor center. The Grand Canyon had 17 fatalities in 2018 and 19 in 2019. Grand Canyon National Park is one of the most popular tourist destinations in the U.S., drawing nearly 6.4 million visitors a year.
An eight-year-old boy was killed in a shooting at an Alabama shopping mall that left three other people injured. Hoover Police Chief Nick DeZaris said the child was killed in the afternoon shooting at the River Chase Galleria. A girl and two other adults were hospitalized after the shooting. The Bessemer City School System identified the eight-year-old victim as Royta Giles Jr. He would have been a third grader, and the school system described him as a smart child who was a jewel and big dreams of someday entering the music industry. This is USA Radio News. Extendivite really works. Here are some reviews from Amazon.com. Amazon customer, 5 out of 5 stars. I'm quite happy about it. This product has relieved what appears to be an angina problem, pain in the chest after climbing stairs, and short on breath. I'm quite happy about it. Dr. Sam Surreal. Good product and ingredients. Kept my blood pressure normal after mild heart attack in 2015. Switched to plant-based diet also to reverse atherosclerosis. John Bispico's. Five out of five stars. Built up my immune system. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extend This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So there's this Wiccan woman. Her name is Penny. I haven't heard from her in many years. But we knew her when we lived in Pennsylvania. And I was at a crossroads of my life. And I went over to her house and we had a conversation. And she did a tarot reading of me. Mm-hmm. And basically, the quest was, what should I do next with my life? And she came up with something that later on turned to be fairly close to the mark. But what was weird about it is, I was just sitting on her couch And then I fell asleep suddenly for two hours. Like all the energy had been drained from me. I woke up. I was fine. I apologized. And I guess she understood what I was doing and went on my way and realized or maybe took what she said as guidance. And Mm -hmm. that kind of explained what happened to me for the next 10, 15 years or so. But the energy Mm -hmm. that I, I guess, gave up during this was strange. I never had that happen to me before or since. Do you know if Penny identified as an empath, someone who can feel or absorb other people's energies? I don't recall that. I know we'd gone to some of her Wiccan ceremonies mm-hmm. in the forest and everything, and everybody had a pleasant time and everything, but I do not recall her saying anything about being empathic. I, of course, may have forgotten. I just, just don't remember yeah. that. It was the 70s, mid-70s. Should we talk more about uh, monsters? Well, I've got one more on the, two more on the list here that are crossovers with the uh, ufology and the aliens thing. Oh, and just a quick, going back to what you were talking about, the movie with the the broadcast signal that turns Mm -hmm. people into, well, there's another movie called, right? Okay, there's another one called They Live by John Carpenter. That, that also very familiar. Also used the theme of a signal being broadcast out by aliens to affect the consciousness of the population in a manner that kept them oblivious 
to their takeover of the planet. Mm-hmm. Yes, which my gut reaction to that would be in right a con- commentary on our continued reliance on technology and not understanding how satellites work and yeah, f- fascinating. I'll definitely have to. It sounds familiar. I want to say that I've seen it, but I'm not positive. It's pretty grade B, but it actually is. It's one of my favorites. There's um, nothing wrong with a B movie or even a D movie. I still oh, well, think they can okay. be entertaining. You'll love it then because there's some, there's some wrestling scenes. And, and this, this won't be a spoiler, but it, it results in uh, one of the non-believers finally being shown the truth. Oh. Be, because when uh, they put on these special glasses, they can see through the signal to what really is happening. And it's it's really great because it, it you can s- just see all of the social control. It, it, it's poetic in its own grade B kind of way. Uh, Gene just reminded me here that we've got something called the question bank. Oh. And we have a question from one of our forum participants named Marduk. He says, I'm currently reading Where the Footprints End. And I'm curious what her take is on you. I mean, that means your take on (laughs) modern monster hunters discounting or ignoring some of the high strangeness in many monster encounters. I fully realize this is an attempt to gain traction with academia, but I'm curious how you see this fitting in with the larger historical narrative around monsters. Like I was trying to say a couple of times earlier, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and being so brave as to bring this into academia so that people can talk about it without fear. Yeah, I think that they should. So you're welcome. I think what my research ultimately comes down to is storytelling and the importance of sharing our different perspectives. So the more, the merrier. And I also, like I always tell my students, if I expect certain things from you, then you can also expect them from me. And I will try to give back what, you know, other people are willing to share with me. But in terms of that question, um, like you said, we did touch on it a little bit, but I would actually say that I don't think the discrediting of modern monster, well, I guess it depends on how you define modern monster hunters. Um, but I think some, um, the, Emily, yes. hang on a sec. Jean, are you there? Just just answer the question over again, I guess, then, uh, okay. Dr. Z, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, so that's a great question. I think uh, we did talk about that a little bit, but my gut response would be that I don't necessarily think that maybe, I at least I think I'd be sad if modern monster hunters or just people interested in superstition or folklore and horror in general are discrediting some of these unusual experiences to appear more academically legitimate. At least the way I approach this kind of work as an academic is that's just another story, another, you know, part of better understanding um, humanity. So I would actually say that including those kinds of strange experiences should be part of what we're doing. Um, And I think that if there is a bigger turn um, towards not just first-person experience, but looking back at history and looking through how these stories have changed or not changed over time and looking at potential influencing factors, I think that's where the legitimacy comes in. So for me, it's not enough just to talk about, let's talk about you know the DNA evidence that proves that this quote-unquote Yeti fur is actually from a bear. Let's 
put that information in the story, but also talk about the older spiritual beliefs of when these creatures were sighted and how that played into Tibetan religion and cultural experiences in general. So I think to tell the best stories about monsters, we need to show both sides, the scientific and the supernatural and everything in between. Um, Maybe not necessarily to get answers, but to better understand why we're creating these stories. Wow. Well, Smart. Based certainly on that. what you were telling us earlier, you must believe in the supernatural because you've had supernatural experiences. I think that that maybe has made me more open. But again, I don't think that my one, you know, experience with the paranormal can make me believe more or less in something like a dragon or the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot. Um, I think it honestly comes down a lot more to my exposure to literature and movies. Um, and actually, honestly, the training I've had as a scholar as being open to different types of perspectives that at least I would like to think make me good at this job. I just want to learn as much as I can from as many people and sources as I can and share that information with more people so they can ask their own questions. During the course of your research, do you find much evidence of people just faking things to try to (laughs) convey the impression that we have real-life monsters and such? All the time. Um, Absolutely all the time, both with paranormal, you know, non-physical beings and also with physical beings. There are quite a few different um, famous monster types like mermaids, cyclops, the bunyip, um, dragons, all of the jackalopes, all these different kinds of, you know, creatures that are maybe misidentified fossils or in some cases are actually very clearly manufactured, um, you know, algamations of a misshapen fool's head here or, you know, foot from this that's sewn onto this other thing and presented um, as real. Yes, that, of course, occurs less often now, that type of, you know, physical creature um, evidence of a monster just because science has advanced so much. But there is absolutely a really fascinating history about taxidermy and manufactured evidence um, of different monsters that I think is awesome. And again, to me, that's just another part of where history and art and, you know, maybe greed uh, come into play for these stories. I don't think, and for the most part, when you fake these things, you make much money. I mean, even when you write factual books, so few books actually become bestsellers. We didn't look Mm. particularly at UFOs because I know some of the economics involved there in writing a UFO book or any book. Mm. Yeah. That's, you know, commercial book, fact, or fiction. There is not a lot of money in it, as you probably realize, unless you are one <laughs> of this rarefied atmosphere of yeah. people who write best-selling books and work for a few years, and suddenly their bank account grows tremendously. For the rest of us, when we write books, and I've written a few, Dr. Z yeah. joins us for one more segment with Dr. Z and Gene. And Randall, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. 
But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to generate an endless supply of natural silver solutions, SilverLungs.com. You'll find no wild claims or pseudoscience, just a lifetime of nano-sized pure silver solutions. The Silver Lungs Generator allows you to make your own, so stop paying for silver solutions. The unique lung delivery system targets respiratory infections where other silver solutions simply cannot reach. See the Silver Lungs Generator and Lung Delivery System at SilverLungs.com. That's SilverLungs.com. I'm here with Scott Uceum, founder of OMG Tax. Tell us how your company helps our listeners out there who have a problem with the IRS. My team of lawyers, enrolled agents, and licensed tax experts remove wage garnishments sometimes in the same day. We even have reduced the total debt some of our clients were required to pay through what is known as an offer in compromise. Can you give us an example of somebody you help? Oh, can I ever. We have taken a $500,000 liability with the IRS Guess what? The client didn't pay a dime through the representation known as non-collectible status with the government. If you owe the IRS more than $10,000 and you want to see if it's possible to pay a lot less, call OMG Tax right now for a free tax-saving consultation. Call 800-486-8112. That's 800-486-8112. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veteran nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. This is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We're joined here by the one and only 
Dr. Z, Dr. Emily Zarka. Now, while you guys were talking about that movie, that John Carpenter movie, They Live, (laughs) the star was the late Roddy Piper, a wrestler, who was actually a fairly decent actor. I remember the film, but unfortunately, although it only cost $3 million to make in 1988, it only grossed $13 million, which actually is a profit in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that was kind of unfortunate. I think it deserved more. It was based on a story called 8 O'Clock in the Morning, a sci-fi story from Ray Nelson. Why does anyone care? Because it's a cool movie for grade B sci-fi. Anyone who's into grade B sci-fi has got to watch that movie. It's like required reading, but it's a movie. <laughs> so, anyway, And the author is um, still alive, by the way. Huh? Yeah. You guys were just talking about a little bit about manufactured evidence. And I wanted to just remind our listeners, well, you know, you can make some money faking it, maybe more faking it than the real thing, because all we have to do is look at uh, Ray Santilli in the Alien Autopsy film, Mm. which he raked in a pretty penny on that one. I was saying right from the beginning, this is probably some kind of a fake because of the group that I'm with. One of our members actually knew the people who helped to create it. (laughs) So... (laughs) There's a long history of that, though, going back hundreds of years of people. And again, not necessarily just for profit, although that might have been at least one of the motivating factors, but sometimes just for notoriety. I mean, like when mummies were taken from Egypt, particularly in the early like 1800s and only progressed from there is people would wrap up dead like household animals and pass them off as, you know, ancient Egyptian mummies. And you wouldn't know until you unwrapped the body. So, and that's just one example of so many more throughout history. So, that's another part of this monstrology kind of study, I think, is looking at it, about physical evidence. And again, I think the evidence, even when it's fake, is so interesting about the motivations for creating that, too. Well, that's one of the things I really love about the, the academic approach to this. We don't know for sure exactly what. The, the core reality is. But we do know that there is something strange going on. Mm-hmm. But we don't have to become believers in any particular view to be able to take an objective look at it and consider it from a cultural and historical perspective, because there's all this wonderful value in looking at it from that perspective. So it's just so great to see people like yourselves coming up and doing that in an academic setting. It's it's just wonderful. Thank you. And again, I really enjoy it. And I think that the feedback I've received and the success of what I've been doing so far is really a testament to just that. People want to learn more about these things that seem purely fictional. And again, I don't expect anyone to listen to anything that I'm saying and be like, well, this does or does not exist definitively. I'm not looking for the definitive. I'm looking for the historical, for the possibilities. And more exploring human nature, I guess, than I am of looking at does X monster exist. But I think the dialogue that surrounds monsters and horror and folklore and superstition has always been part of the human condition. And I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. The monster may change, but there will always be the fear going on in humanity as well. Well, isn't that because monsters, in a way, they they force us to face our mortality Mm -hmm. in some way, shape, or form. 
But it seems like there's always a trade-off, too. Like with vampires, well, if you want to live forever, you're going to have to drink blood mm-hmm. and kill people. Or if you're a zombie, well, okay, you come back from the dead, but you no longer have any personal identity. You're, you're just mm-hmm. uh, some sort of clockwork orange that is being powered by who knows what with no personality anymore. Depending on the show you watch, there are zombies with personalities, <laughs> I guess. Isn't that sort of a recurring theme in it all, is in the way that it makes us force our own mortality? I think it forces us, all monsters forces, to think about our own humanity. Not of morality, but also of mortality, of what it actually means to be human, what it means to be alive. I think those are persistent questions. Because not all monsters are about death. Not all of them are, you know, trying to kill you or even do you harm. They're just these strange creatures that make us wonder or question the world around us. And I think that kind of questioning is something that will always continue. So as far as I'm concerned, there have been and will always be monsters. Right. When we have new questions, we'll invent new monsters. Exactly. Yes. New technologies, new historical situations. Absolutely. There will always be new monsters. And here we go again with the phenomenon mirroring the worldview of the experiencer. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Wonderful stuff. Okay. Here's another one. Martians. Now, we've talked a bit about aliens, but you do have a specific episode on Martians. I'm imagining we're we're probably going to be talking a little bit H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds here, and maybe some other factors that we've never really considered before. Talk to us about Martians. Martians are fascinating. Um, H.G. Wells, I would say, made them popular, but the concept of some kind of alien creature existing on the planet Mars specifically goes back um, much earlier. Some people argue that this is in part due to how sometimes we can even see Mars with the naked eye, right? Like even going back thousands of years in human history, a lot of gods or important spiritual creatures or presences are associated with Mars because it is a planet that does take on a red glow that we can see. And as technology advanced and things like telescopes were invented and people started really looking at Mars, the idea of something living there became even more dominant, um, particularly when one uh, person misidentified what we would now see as some of the um, you know, dried up rivers or geological features of Mars as being canals. Um, that was actually a mistranslation that led people to believe um, that inhabitants of the uh, of this other world had to have created these, you know, canals to irrigate um, their land. And things kind of spiraled from there. The Dead Seas of Barsoom. Yeah. That's what I think of because I read the John Carter novels. They actually had a movie okay. of John Carter, which I thought was really poorly sold. It was a pretty good movie, updated from the original story, but kept a lot of the original novels in there, the first two or three Edgar Rice Burroughs novels. But it was marketed so badly. Did you ever see yeah. it? I don't think I ever did. Or maybe just parts of it. It's probably on Disney Plus now, right? I probably could go watch it tonight. Sure. Maybe I should. But yeah, it's a great example of how marketing, I think, sometimes takes all horror, specifically monster movies in general, and places them in these categories that maybe they shouldn't be or they could be better appreciated. I just don't think they understood how to sell that film. Mm. 
which was kind of sad. But then again, we're talking about a story that was written like in 1911. Mm-hmm. So bringing yeah. it up to date is difficult. Dr. Z, tell our listeners where they can find more stuff about you. You can learn more about Monstrum on PBS.org and also on the Storied channel on YouTube. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Zarka Emily. Dr. Emily Zarka, so much fun to spend this time with you. You can find us on Twitter. If you look for the Paracast, look for two official Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. And by the way, Facebook wouldn't let us put up an ad about last week's show featuring Stephen Bassett because it was about disclosure, therefore political. And we had to go through, forget it, it's a, something we'll deal with maybe on After the Paracast. Speaking of which, we have a second radio show called After the Paracast that you can hear if you join the Paracast Plus. For more, for more information, go to theparacast.plus. We offer this show also free of the network ads with enhanced audio. We also have branded merchandise, speaking of selling things. We have branded merchandise, four different Paracast logos, with T-shirts and throw rugs and pillows and who knows what else, go to theparacast.shop to learn more about that. That's theparacast.shop. Being an old monster movie buff, I had a great time here with Dr. Emily Zarka. That name is perfect, Dr. Z. That name is perfect for being a monster. Thank you. I can thank my Hungarian ancestors for that one. Well, that's good. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Dr. Z, thanks for joining us in the Paracast. Thank you so much for having me. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.